All right, we're in Acts 7. Acts chapter 7, and we've got a, a sermon before us delivered by Stephen. Now, this is a situation in which, um, well, he is not before friends. He is uh, delivering a message, this deacon Stephen, delivering a message, really a defense of the gospel uh, before the Jews. Uh, let's say they were more patriotic Jews. They were the native Hebrews, not necessarily the Hellenist Jews. And he's going to say some things that definitely get their attention. We'll read the sermon. Uh, and, uh, and the aftermath of the sermon, make a few comments and we will uh, conclude. But here in uh, a couple things just to connect with Acts chapter 6 is uh, going back to the selection of the seven men. Luke tells us of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Uh, six, chapter 6, verse 3. Uh, they desire to put these men uh, in charge of the task of distributing resources, we think food, perhaps uh, money to widows. And there was the problem in the church was the Hellenistic uh, widows felt like they were perhaps being overlooked in the distribution that the native Hebrew widows um, were, well, that the distribution wasn't happening equally. So there's Stephen, this, uh, this man, this deacon, and he's prominent here. In chapter 7, the Bible says that the, this statement, as far as the solution to the problem, are the lights going on and off? Is there somebody back there? Is it just one? Oh, okay. We want to isolate that one. Because we all know what happens when you don't do that and you try to share that with someone who's going to fix the problem. It doesn't do that. Right? It just doesn't. It stops. Yeah, just, okay. So anyway, um, so they chose Stephen. And I like this part right here at the, at, in verse 5. The statement found approval with, with who? The whole congregation. There's some other parts of the New Testament that you can go and you find that in the operation of the church, the congregation of the church is involved. And that's why in our church polity or our church government, whatever you want to call it, that we are congregational in the way we operate. Um, and that is to be um, distinguished uh, from the, uh, let's say, a more Presbyterian manner, which would be elders, Elder rule, they say, like a 
four or five men who kind of make the decisions. Um, and it's to be distinguished from, let's say, an Episcopalian manner in which maybe you have a bishop over many churches or a region, and that person makes the decision for the church. Uh, we are congregational, and here's, a, here's evidence of a congregation being involved. And what's interesting is the apostles were right there, you know, on the premises. They're not just making decisions uh, for the people. It's, this is, everybody's involved, and that's, I think that's, that's the Lord. They chose Stephen, and Luke says that, in particular, that Stephen is a man full of faith. He's full of faith. Think about that. What, what do you think that means? What kind of picture of Stephen? Uh, how does that describe him? He's a man full of faith. He's, he trusts God. Um, and not only was he full of faith, but he's full of the Holy Spirit. And I think those are, those are two fantastic requirements for any uh, duty or office, if you will, in the church. I think you could start right there. person should be full of faith and they should be full of the Holy Spirit. And figure out how to sustain that with a daily, daily life. Then we, we have these others named Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor. Timon, Parnamus, Nicholas, uh, those tend to be more Hellenistic names. Uh, we've talked about that a little bit. So Stephen is, uh, in verse 8, full of grace and power. And he's performing great signs and wonders, or wonders and signs among the people. And some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including Cyrenians, Alexandrians, some from Cilicia and Asia, you know, Cilicia is where uh, Saul was from. And we, we have no reason to think that he wasn't within earshot of what's going on here. They were unable to cope with the wisdom and spirit with which he was speaking. Who? Stephen. Stephen is defending the faith. And then they secretly induced men to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So that was their indictment against, or at least part of the indictment that these folks had against Stephen. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. They came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, this man, and they're speaking of Stephen, this man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. He incessantly speaks against this holy place. Well, they, what's the reference there? To the temple. Um, speaking against that place that we love and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. So in, even in the midst of uh, the pressure cooker there, he's... You know, he's, we get a picture of a number of people and then Stephen speaking and defending. And then things unfold here in chapter 7. The high priest said, are these things so? 
We think this is the same high priest that presided over uh, Jesus and the crucifixion, Caiaphas. Um, So he says, are these things so? And he said, hear me, brethren and fathers. So he wants their attention. He's going to speak. He's got something on his heart. But let's just say the Lord has laid something on his heart. He's going to speak. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Now, this is significant because as you read through this uh, sermon, this defense of the, of the gospel, uh, Stephen is going to highlight the times that God spoke and moved. And what we see, if, if you pay attention is God speaking and moving beyond the Holy Land, not in it, beyond it. So that's the first offense that they're going to hear. So right here, the God of glory. You know, it all starts with God. That's that's another thing here. You know, it's not that man reached up to God. It's not that man was so smart in his human wisdom. It's the There it is. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Where did he live? Well, he lived in Ur. Ur of the Chaldees. He was a moon worshiper. And said to him, so God appeared and God spoke, leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died... God had him moved to this country, which you're now living. But he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. And yet, even when he had no child, he promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke to this effect, that his descendants would be aliens in a foreign land And that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. And whatever nation to which they will be in bondage, I myself will judge, said God. And after that, they will come out and serve me in this place. So, just a couple things. He's, uh, Stephen is bringing this great perspective on history. History, as I used to uh, teach uh, the students... In history class, history is his story. It's about God and his dealing with man. And Stephen has a great handle on history. And God is at the center of the history. The other thing, um, Stephen quotes scripture. Uh, He's quoting the Old Testament. And he knows you know, he's, he's well-versed with the Old Testament and with God's work with and among the people. One of the things I love about Abraham and God's dealing with Abraham is God was giving Abraham promises before the law ever came into effect. The law, never, the law didn't come into effect until Moses. God was promising long before Moses. And Abraham, we know from... Hebrews 11, that Abraham responded in faith. He went out where? What? I love the way he went out. How did he go out? 
He had his GPS plugged in. Nope. He went out not knowing where he was going. I don't know about you, but every now and then I like to go on a trip and just not plan very well on purpose and just see what God does. I got, I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one story. So I had a friend in a town in Tennessee and his parents were, was that the one? His parents were killed in a car accident. So I was going to go back. And I didn't let anybody know in McMinnville that I was going to be there. Linda goes, are you going to make a reservation at a hotel? Are you going to? I said, nope. I'm just going. We'll see. I just love traveling like that. I pull into this little town at about, it had to be midnight. And I didn't know what I was going to do. But I was fine. I don't, I kind of like it. And uh, I got out. And I thought, well, you know, I don't, there's not a lot open to get something to eat, but I can put gas in the car. So I pulled around. I'm standing there putting gas in the car. All of a sudden I hear, hey, Pastor Bill. I said, my buddy's in his truck. He says, he says, what are you, when did you get here? I said, I just got here. I'm just putting gas. He goes, where are you staying? I said, I don't know. He goes, well, why don't you come to the house? I said, there we go. So I was, right there it was. You know, trust, just trust God will come through one way or the other. So anyway, I love that story. You got a good night's sleep. Um, so the promises there, I guess that's where we're going. That's the problem with telling a story. I sometimes have a difficult time getting back on the track. <laughs> and it would not be to your benefit if I resort to starting over, which is what I used to do. <laughs> where am I going? I don't know. I'll start over. Okay, did we say Stephen was a deacon and the whole congregation approved it? Well, he's in the middle of this sermon. So here we go in verse 8, we'll go on. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. So Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. So these folks around Stephen, they got to be in just on the edge of their seat. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. Yet God was with him and rescued him from all his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and over all his household. Now famine came over all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction with it. And our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers there the first time. On the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family was disclosed to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent word and invited Jacob, his father, and all his relatives to come to him, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt, and there he and our fathers died. From there they were removed to Shechem and laid in a tomb, which Abraham had purchased for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. 
It was he who took shrewd advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants and they would not survive. It was at this time that Moses was born. And he was lovely in the sight of God. And he was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after he had been set aside, Pharaoh's father took him away and nurtured him as her own son. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. But when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together, and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? At this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian where he became the father of two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning thorn bush. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and as he approached to look more closely, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses shook with fear and would not venture to look. But the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and have heard their groans, and I have come down to rescue them. Come now, and I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, there it is, whom they disowned, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? Is the one whom God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the thorn bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers and he received living oracles to pass on to you. Our fathers were unwilling To be obedient to him, but repudiated him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. For this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what happened to him. At that time, they made a calf, brought a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and delivered them up to serve the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets, it was not to me that you offered victims and sacrifices 40 years in the wilderness, was it, O house of Israel? You also took along the tabernacle of Molech and the star of the god Rampha, the images which you made to worship. I also will remove you beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness just as he who spoke to Moses, directed him to make it according to the pattern which he had seen. And having received it in their turn, our fathers brought 
it in with Joshua upon dispossessing the nations whom God drove out before our fathers until the time of David. David found favor in God's sight and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my repose? Was it not my hand which made all these things? You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the laws ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. And they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. Began with the God of glory. And here we are with the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. So a uh, couple things before we dismiss just uh, three things about Stephen. First, uh, the first of which is that Stephen is the first Christian martyr. He's the first one on record here in the first century church, the primitive church that is uh, basically offers his life in defense of the gospel. Secondly, we note that Stephen is or is offering an apology. He is an apologist, meaning he is defending the faith. That's what this is basically. This sermon is a defense of the faith, a defense of God's work and actions 
from way back there with Abraham and all the way up through, what's he called, Jesus? The righteous one. And he's saying, he's saying God was working all the way back then. And, and the flip side of that is while God was working, y'all were rejecting at every turn. You rejected at every turn. The way, the way that Joseph was treated, that's the way you treated our Savior. The way that Moses was treated, that's the way our Savior was treated. He was, they were rejected. He was rejected. Um, so it is, it is a defense of the gospel. And then lastly, and I think really, uh, you know, read it, read, read the word, be good Bereans. This is beautiful. And there's one other point I'd really like to make before we get going. But Stephen is the link between Peter and Paul. He's the link. Because Peter, you'll notice he's prominent in the first part of the book of Acts. He is speaking on the day of Pentecost. We see the gospel going forward and, and going forth in Jerusalem. And we see this, this harvest of souls come to faith. And we see Peter and John a little bit later. We see Peter's role in the gospel uh, advancing in Jerusalem. And then we know uh, from chapter eight, nine, nine specifically and forward, we have Paul, the prominent apostle to the Gentiles. But who's the link? The link is Stephen. And, you know, it's okay to ask, would there have been a Saul or a Paul without a Stephen? Because we really think that in this, um, in this narrative material, in chapter 6, toward the end of chapter 6, when Stephen begins to speak, and then, of course, this wonderful chapter 7, that, that Saul's right there. That he has heard that this, there's a man up there who just cannot be refuted. I mean, we don't know what to do with him. He, has, he just sets forth this. We don't know what to say. We think he's speaking against Moses. We think he's speaking against the temple. And by the way, God never commanded a temple. Can you handle that? The temple was a royal whim. That's what it was. What did God command? A tabernacle. He told Moses to build a tabernacle, and he told him specifically how to do it. He's speaking against the temple. But he does mention, if you remember, when we were reading through the sermon, he mentions the tabernacle. And then he says he's speaking against the law. And then finally it's, finally, it's really, he's speaking against God. This man has to be stopped. The other curious thing is that, you know, you look at Jesus, you look at Stephen. By the way, how did Jesus refer to himself? Son of man, son of man. We've been reading that in John. He's a son of man. There's only one other time in the scriptures that that term is used, and it's used by Stephen. And it's used right down there at the end of chapter 7, uh, verse 56, right there. Behold, I see the heavens opened up, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
And you can go back to Luke chapter 22 and verse 69. And Jesus says, I'm going to be at the right hand of the Father. And that's exactly where Stephen sees him at the end of chapter 7. So he is the first martyr. He is giving a defense of the gospel as, uh, as an apology or um, as an apologist. And then he is the link between Peter and Paul. And we'll read more about Paul later. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We thank you for the beauty of it. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you, God, that you are faithful to help us to understand it because without you, it'd be difficult to understand. But we have your spirit and your spirit is the teacher. And we want to be good Bereans. We all want to read your word and understand it and and really uh, have a personal testimony that the things which are shared are true. And so, Lord, help us in that endeavor. And then lastly, God, we take prayer, prayer requests. We take praises uh, for midweek. And we're so thoughtful of others. We, we and, and rightfully so. We need to pray for others and pray for those who are going through difficult times. Uh, help us, God, to uh, just pray for one another as well and not to be negligent in that, but to cover all bases in prayer. And Lord, for those here tonight that are struggling, either physically or however, however we struggle, and we struggle in a multitude of ways and in different combinations of ways, and we just pray God, that you would encourage us. God, that even when we close our eyes and we fall asleep on the pillow tonight, that your work would continue in our minds and hearts and that you would help us. Lord, we need help. The burden of this world, uh, the issues of this life, the disappointments, the frustrations, the sin that is ever before us, God, Help us, help us to overcome in you, to give you all the glory and to be ever thanking you for your work. So bless uh, each one here tonight. And Lord, those things that are really next to us right now, I pray for your help in those areas for my brothers and sisters. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.